The story of Jesus is amazing, isn't it? And we love the story. And we're going to go more into the details tonight and would hope that you'd all come back tonight at 7 p.m. But I want to talk about one aspect of the story this morning. And as we've been talking on Sunday mornings about the story of Esther, I want to talk about in the story of Jesus how the angels suddenly appeared to the shepherds. We're going to talk about that in a second, but we've been looking at that concept of the fact that in Esther, to have God's favor was so important when things suddenly appeared. And we've been talking about when suddenly things happen, how important it is to have God's hand on you, the invisible hand of God. And last week, for those of you who were here, you recall that I told the story of my friend, son, Kobe, who, when he was about 12 years old, was vacationing at Yosemite when he, like most aggressive little 12-year-old boys, climbed over a fence and went into a dangerous part on the mountainside at Yosemite and then fell off. Incredibly, as he was hanging on the side of a mountain, if you can imagine that, somebody pulled him up. And as he told his father the story, my friend Tim recounts, his son broke down in tears and crying because one, he disobeyed the signs, disobeyed his dad who said don't cross over into the dangerous parts, but then actually brought his life so close to ending. And the amazing part of the story was as Kobe was hanging on the side of a mountain, and again, this is not an exaggeration, this is like hanging on the side of a mountain somebody pulled him up. And when he got to the top and got pulled up, he was amazed to find that nobody was there, which is just remarkable, which made the story all the more. So then last week I tell the story, and if I can tell, he's not here this morning, right? But Lewis isn't here, is he? Lewis, okay. Lewis comes to our church on occasion and he's been coming on and off for the past year. I don't know how many of you know him, but Lewis is 63 years old. And Lewis said, Pastor, I just gotta tell you a story. I just gotta tell you. So Lewis was here last Sunday, and Lewis told me that when he was 25 years old, he was working in downtown Chicago, and when he was working in downtown Chicago, he was late to get on the train, and he ran into the subway downtown, and he ran on the wrong side of the platform. And as he ran on the wrong side of the platform, he realized he had to get to the other side. And as he got to the other side and, and the train that he was waiting for was coming, all of a sudden, he felt himself falling. And he was gonna go headfirst onto the tracks and die. And as he was falling headfirst into the tracks, somebody grabbed him pulled him up, and he said, in a moment, in an instant, I was okay. And I turned around to thank the person, and there was nobody there. Lewis is a believer. He was a believer at 25. He said it was so remarkable to him. He said, I, I couldn't tell anybody for years. And I finally told my mother, and then he said, 
that he's been telling people, and I said, do I have permission to tell the congregation? He said, absolutely. He said it was such a nice, gentle tug. Now, again, these are stories, and it's hard. You know, I don't want to be talking about, about story theology, but the reality of it is, is we've been looking at the fact that God tells us he sets guardian angels over us. God tells us in Hebrews 13 that we entertain angels unaware. And when we look at the fact that in life, what we want to have, we want to be ready for is when things suddenly happen to us. And that is the key here, the concept here of suddenly. Will you look at Luke chapter two, when the birth of Jesus occurred, we pick up on the day that he was born, and in verse eight it says, in the same region there were shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord, what, suddenly, suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there was born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. The angels came and they were suddenly there. First one, then many. Do you catch that? Suddenly? If you weren't here last week, I would encourage you, listen to the last week's podcast. Go look at all the verses, how the word suddenly appears, the concept of something happening quickly, immediately, all of a sudden, coming out of nowhere, popping on the scene. And the angels, from what I can, imagine, I can discern, were never prophesied that they would all of a sudden suddenly appear. And there was no reason for the shepherds to know that this was coming. But should the shepherds and the Jewish people have known that Jesus was coming? Should the shepherds have been ready for Jesus? Should all the Jews have been ready for Jesus? And I think, like, today, how people should be ready for the return of Jesus, absolutely they should have been ready. Why? Let me give you three reasons. Number one is there was Daniel's prophecy in Daniel 9, 24 to 27 that talked about from the issuing of the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, which was in 445 BC, to the time that Messiah would be cut off. That was 30 years from that point. The Jewish people should have been looking at their calendar because God is very specific. When God gives a prophecy and they that you can count on it, and especially when it is time-oriented. The prophecy of Daniel 9, 24 to 27 is so specific that on the very day of the triumphal entry when Jesus goes into the city of Jerusalem, he basically says there's gonna be an earthquake if I don't come in and get declared to be the Messiah. That is how important it was that they recognized that date. Well, when the shepherds were out in the fields, when the Jews were looking around, they should have realized we're getting close. And the concept of how is the Messiah going to be on the scene? You know, is he, he should have been born. Something should have happened because we're anticipating him. Just like today, so many of us, as we anticipate the coming of the Antichrist, is the Antichrist alive today? Is he been born? Okay. Second, 
The idea is the events around John the Baptist's birth. We're not going to go back into that, but you can read on your own Luke chapter 1. From Luke chapter 1, you have to understand the Jewish people have had silence from God for 400 years. Then one day, an elderly couple, a couple that can no longer have children, the husband, Zacharias, goes into the, into the temple, and he's doing his, his duty, and it's his job to offer up the sacrifice day, and all of a sudden, what was just portrayed in our pageant or play, an angel did appear, and that angel said, basically, you're going to have a child, and, and, and gave him the idea that he was going to be the forerunner for this coming Jesus, and it is absolutely astounding that this reality occurred, and when John's father, John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, initially didn't believe it, which I thought was so well portrayed by the children today, it was, the angel says, I am Gabriel. Basically, think about this. What does he say? I am Gabriel who stands in God's presence. Think about, you better listen to me. And because you didn't listen to me, you didn't believe me, I'm going to shut you up, and you're not going to be allowed to speak until the baby is born. Whoa, you've got to be kidding me. And you don't think that you have a priest that is so significant in Israel that all of a sudden he comes out, and all he can do is make hand signals, and all he can do is talk about something that he saw that so blew him away that that didn't create a stir amongst the people? Then when they actually do get pregnant and all of a sudden Elizabeth is with child and when Mary comes to visit and she makes a declaration about the joy and I love how they stood back as the, as, uh, as the two sisters, um, Leah and Rebecca, enacted it out that the reality of this is is that there would have been incredible excitement because Elizabeth could tell people, listen, The Messiah is here. This was no small couple. This was no small incident. People all through the community had to be talking about it. And the word would have spread in that day. And so now you have Mary comes and spends three months with her her cousin. The events around the the birth of John the Baptist had to resonate within Jerusalem with and then the outskirts as well. And then lastly, you've got Mary's unwed pregnancy had to create a stir. I know it gets missed so often, but Mary is married to Joseph. And we tell the story of them being impoverished and poor and, and, and the fact that when they offer up the sacrifice in the temple, they offer up the, tur- turtle, the turtle doves and stuff of what the poor people is. Because the, the offering that you were supposed to give was supposed to be something that was more expensive. But when you are impoverished, you give what Mary and Joseph gave, which is so significant because I know that we read the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter one, and it's so easy to think, okay, this is just his, 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 you know, his family line. But that is the family line of kings, of kings. Joseph was not an, not an ordinary individual from the standpoint of just anyone. He was in the line of David. And we have to always remember that. And when all of a sudden, one who should be king, think about that, is marrying somebody that is pregnant 
before they've consummated their marriage, it had to create a stir. And it had to create such a stir that people talked about it. And I got to believe that Joseph, what he experienced in that dream, started telling people, listen, an angel came to me and told me that this child is not from ordinary relationships. And we know this so much by the time we come to John chapter 8, when Jesus is about 30-some years old and the, the Jewish Pharisees are coming after him, they talk about, we're not born of fornication like you. This was, it was so well-known, people. People should have understood what was happening. So maybe there is no prophecy that all of a sudden angels will appear to the to the to the shepherds in the middle of the night, but the people should have been ready. God had made promises to Israel that we're gonna, he's gonna bring a savior. And that was what even Mary proclaimed to Elizabeth, that I've got a savior. Well, as we go through the story, how did the shepherds react? Well, what I want you to look at, if you look at verse 15, it says, and when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing which happened, which the Lord has made to us. And so they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in a manger. And the first thing is, is they believed and went. What a testimony. What an incredible testimony. Listen, I, I have told people sometimes, hey, you gotta see something. You ever get excited about something? You gotta go, and, and you, you, gotta go, oh, you gotta go see this. You gotta go see this thing. You gotta go do that. And then the people say, uh-huh. <laughs> they don't go. Think about it. Those shepherds could have just stayed there in the field and said, you know what? I'm keeping this to myself. It was interesting. My friend Kobe, my, my friend Tim, son Kobe, as well as Lewis, both said when they encountered their incidents on the, on the mountainside and in the subway in Chicago, that neither of them wanted to tell someone initially because the thought was no one's going to believe us. This was so strong, the belief in the shepherds, that they believed and they went. Let's not miss that. Second, what happens is when they go, they tell others, look at so verse 17, and when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about the child. What were they told? They were told that, that the, the Savior has been born. Look at that. We can't miss it right from the beginning. Look at verse 11. For today in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior. Right from the start, Jesus was recognized as a Savior. Now, we know the full picture that by Savior, he is one who will die to pay the penalty for sins. He will be the one that offers us eternal life. He is the one that pays the debt that everyone here owes. And as you progress in age and you get older and you realize you cannot stop the times of death, I know looking back, for me, even in my 20s, there's the thought like, it's never gonna come, and the next thing you know, I blink and I'm 62. Some of you are 70, 80, 90, and the reality of it is, our time on this earth is so short, and the reality that, that, that death is coming is so certain, and when you read the scriptures and you understand the reality that death means that you could spend eternity from God separated in a place called hell forever, it becomes overwhelming. And then you come to realize that this baby born in a manger grew up 
to die, to pay the penalty for the sin that I owed. And that is what's absolutely overwhelming. And these shepherds are telling people, we have seen these angels and they have told us he is the savior. He is the one who will save us from our sins. He will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And then what did the angels do? Look at, as we continue the story, verse 18, and all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, (laughs) pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back glorifying God and praising for all the things they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. They were absolutely blown away and they glorified God. What does it mean to give glory? It means to, to give weight to it, to give significance. I love to do word studies. And I tell you, if you want to study the Bible, one of the best things you can do is just get a, a Bible lexicon, Bible dictionary. And one of the things that's always hit me was the idea of glory. And, and, and glorify is the idea of, of giving significance to something. It's weighty. And so if I tell you something and you consider it significant, it impacts you. You act on it. I believe these shepherds continue just to act on it and live in light of the fact that the Savior was born. And, and, and the idea of praising God and giving him thanks we all know, if, for those of you who have studied the Bible, that the shepherds were considered the lowliest of people. Why did God pick them? Because he wanted praise coming from people that were not many mighty, not many noble. You read that in 1 Corinthians chapter one. You look around and you look in, within Christianity, God doesn't need celebrities, God doesn't need kings, God doesn't need that because his power isn't in that. His power is in picking the shepherds, the people who were the outcasts, the people who were the lowly, the people who, who people would say, what significant message do you have? And they continue to go out and glorify and praise God. Will not be something when we get to heaven, all the people that they told throughout the years that they told about Jesus because they told what we saw, how we saw it, and how the Savior came. And we know for certain wouldn't it be great if all of us could have an angel appear to us, all of us could be pulled from a mountainside or something like that? But I gotta tell you one thing, this is where it gets important for you to realize, it's not magical, but you ha- in this sense, you have the written word of God. It's considered more sure. You need to understand it. You may never have an experience where an angel appears to any of you. You may never have something interject into time and space. I got that. And, I, and even when it does happen, as I've had a few things happen to me, I can't say for certain, but I can tell you the word of God is certain. And what I want you to see, and I want you to talk about this, is, is this idea of, of understanding Jesus. Some ways Jesus did things suddenly, and will you do, a, do me a favor? Turn your Bibles, keep a marker there in Luke, but in, in the Gospel of Matthew, you see, one of the things... I mean, excuse me, Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter one. I, I, I don't know if you know this, and I've asked people before to read the book. You know, take your Bibles, constantly read them. And when you read the book of Mark, 16 chapters, 16 chapters, every gospel has a purpose where, you know, John is showing Jesus as God, the Savior, and Matthew is showing Jesus as the King, Luke is showing the humanity of Jesus more than any other gospel. What does the gospel of Mark show? Mark shows how he was the servant teacher, but one of the things that really stands out 
is that when you look at verse one, it says, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, the good news. Now, the angels came proclaiming the good news from John, from in Luke chapter two, verse eight, nine. The idea of the word gospel comes from the Greek word euangelion. It means something that was good news. And when the angels declared it, it begins the process of when all of a sudden we start to take that expression that was often used for kings when he'd say, hey, we've got euangelion, we got good news. No taxes this Friday, free bread next month. That was an euangelion. It was a gospel message. And the gospel message so became associated no longer with normal kings, earthly kings, but now, whenever we often hear the word gospel, we immediately think of Jesus. And the gospel of Matthew starts off, look, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I want you to jump down to verse 10. Look down, and it says, immediately. You could have translated that word, suddenly. And then you jump down to verse 12, and immediately, suddenly, the Spirit impelled them. And you look down at verse 18, and immediately they left their nets. And then in verse 20, immediately they called them. And then you go down to verse 28, and immediately the news about him spread everywhere. And verse 29, and immediately they, they came out of the synagogue. This is over and over and over, suddenly, 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 suddenly. Jump down to verse 43, and he sternly warned them and immediately sent them away. Then you jump down to chapter two, verse eight, and immediately Jesus went away in the spirit. And then you jump down to verse 12, and they got up and immediately picked up. Suddenly, 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 things are just moving constantly with Jesus. As you jump through, and I can't remember if I got it, just go to chapter three, verse six. And the Pharisees went out and immediately began conspire, conspiring with the Herodians. And you jump over, where is it, where's the next one? I can't remember. Uh, just jumped over to chapter five, verse two. And when he went out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. This continues throughout the book. Jesus is constantly doing suddenly things. So I put together a summary here. When you look at this, you, you look at Jesus, he, he, he will do things that indicate his uniqueness, his specialness. When he is 12 years old in Luke chapter two, he is at the temple and his parents have come there for one of the festivals and when they all leave, suddenly he disappears. The word suddenly isn't in Luke 2, but he just disappears. And when they come back and they look for him, he's like, don't you understand? There's like this transition, and basically it's happened immediately that now he is independent of his parents, but he's gonna subject himself until it's time for him to become king, time for him to present himself as the Messiah. But it's interesting, he disappears suddenly, and then in the sense of not being with the family, not disappears in the vapor. When you look at stories of him producing the wine at the wedding at Cana in John chapter two, or feeding the 5,000 in John chapter six, the food just comes suddenly, immediately, just vaporizes out of, comes, not vaporizes, comes out of thin air, why? Because Jesus is able to suddenly do these things because he's trying to prove to everybody that he is God come in the flesh. We all have to look at the miracles and understand this is what makes Jesus different than any other religious leader. Any other spiritual leader, whether it's a, a Buddha or whether it's a Muhammad or whether it's any other spiritual leader that has come on the scene ever, Jesus backs up his claims. Someone says he never claimed to be God. You gotta be kidding me. 
Absolutely, Jesus claimed to be God. John chapter 10. And all of these things he's constantly doing. People weren't expecting him. They weren't expecting water, the wine to be turned into water, or water to be turned into wine at the wedding. They weren't expecting the, all this food when they were maybe 20,000 people in John chapter six. But he all of a sudden just does it. Jesus continually shows that he has power over nature. Matthew chapter 14, he calms storms with a word. It's also recorded in John chapter six. He had incredible power. Who was Jesus? This is no ordinary human being. It is the incarnation of God come in the flesh, come as a human being. Why did Jesus have to be God who comes to earth as a man? Because the penalty for our sin is the death of a human being. And Jesus had to be human but he also had to be God. And when he suddenly, all of a sudden, you look at the, you go back and you read these stories, I'm, I'm not going on this for time's sake, is the idea is that you got the storm and it's crazy. And if you were ever in the midst of a storm, I don't know if you've ever been on the water and a storm came up, and I've read accounts of how people who've been on water, especially like Michigan, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a wind comes in and, 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 and there's nothing to hold on to. And that's what the disciples were going in. And then Jesus comes walking on the water and says, stop. <laughs> like, who are you, Jesus? But he suddenly kept doing these things. And then he healed people unexpectedly. The John chapter 11 passages when Lazarus has been dead for four days. But you can go into passage after passage where John chapter five, where Jesus heals the man who's been ill for 38 years. John chapter nine, the man who was born blind. Whether it's a little girl or a woman that touches his hem in the middle of a crowd, Jesus is able to heal people and he heals him unexpectedly, all showing his incredible power that this was no ordinary baby who grew up to be no ordinary man. He was so special. As we look at the fact that when you look at passages then, not only did he have power to do miracles, food out of nowhere, but when he taught, I can tell you how important it is as a believer to continually go back into Matthew chapter five through seven. You should all know that instantly as the Sermon on the Mount where at the end, people are like, whoa, uh, where Jesus talks about who are, who's blessed, how to shine your light, how not to be someone that's fake in the way you pray, in the way you give. He wants you to be someone that, that he cuts through all the, all the foolishness of, of worldly teaching and, and fake religiosity. And he comes and he tells people what it means to live according to his word. And at the end of the, the Sermon on the Mount, what does he say? What does Jesus do? He basically tells a story about the man who builds his foundation on the rock and not on the sand. And when people's reaction to it is like, whoa, where did this come from? Where did this come from? He continually marveled with people who thought, maybe we're just going, we're going out into a field, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is just coming on the mountainside and he's gonna teach. I tell you, if you ever get the chance to go to Jerusalem and you ever get the chance to go to Israel, and I stood where Jesus did the Sermon on the Mount, it's fantastic because if there were thousands and thousands of people there, one of the things they have found is that it is a natural amphitheater and you could talk like this and I think you can find it online where someone has done it. They can talk like this and someone a mile away can hear you. It's just even the genius of being able to pick that exact location. He surprised people with his teaching and then he knew what people were thinking. In John chapter one, when Nathaniel was not sure, hey, should I go with Jesus or not? 
Jesus says, I don't know about what you've been thinking. I know how you've been under the tree. He, he, when I say others up there, I talk about the fact that Jesus knew when the Pharisees were saying things about him and he knew what they were thinking and he continually, graciously, graciously tried to continue to counter their thinking. Like, look, I know what you're thinking, but let me give you this, let me give you that. All because he was trying to get these people to repent. And I tell you, one of the things that's just shocking when you look at the whole story of Jesus, when you come to the end of the Gospel of John, and it talks about the fact that he did so many miracles that the books of the world couldn't contain him. And the Pharisees and the people who were thinking ill of Jesus had seen most of those. Can you imagine seeing the stuff, the truth of Jesus, and having your heart so hard that you could say, I could care less? Why do people do that? Because they love their sin more than they love God. And that's what you all need to be fear. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ right now, you need to fear that sin has such a control of your life. And you, I would cry out to God, God, shine your light in my life. The light of the world, the light was there, there with the shepherds when the angels appeared to them, to the light that's from your word. Because the reality of it is, is Jesus knows what you're thinking. And he knew what they were thinking. He knew what Nathaniel was. He knew what the Pharisees were. He knew what the Sadducees were. And he constantly countered him in grace. Suddenly, suddenly, suddenly. And when the disciples and all the people were cheering Jesus on the day of the triumphal entry, and they were all expecting him to be declared king, so much so that we know that the disciples were fighting over their position. I want to be on his right hand. I want to be on his right hand. I want to be on his left hand. I want a position of prominency. They are all surprised that this one who came to earth came to die to pay the penalty for sins. And so look back at Luke chapter two, and when you gotta remember, right from the beginning, there was no surprise for Jesus, no sudden surprise, because we knew, and we now know, when the angels declared, look at verse 10, do not be afraid, Luke chapter two, verse 10, for behold, I bring you good news, that's the word gospel, with great joy for all the people. For today in the city of David, there's been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. That Christ, he's the Messiah, Lord, he's the king. But at the heart of it is the savior. That is why we get so excited about Christmas morning. That is why it is a historical reality, whether it was on December 25th or whether it was April 1st that Jesus was born, that one day physically he actually was born and, he, and he, we know he came to die. So what do you and I do with this? Today, to be ready for sudden events in your life, because guess what? You don't know what's gonna happen tonight. You don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. Literally, we have had people in this service who have left, have left, and tragedy has happened within one hour where someone's been killed, someone has died within the week, something along those lines. How, how is life going to turn? Where will the next week, month take you? You never know because the only one that really knows what's gonna happen in our lives is God. I don't know, but I can only tell you to be ready for the sudden events. And if I were gonna be ready for them, number one is believe and go. The idea, just like the, just like the, the, the shepherds, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that he is the God-man who died to pay the penalty for sin. Believe is not just mere agreement, it is a commitment. There are so many people that are going to be shocked come judgment day because Jesus will say to them, get away from me, I never knew you. 
And you need to know how important it is that when no one else is around, that who you are, God knows. And God wants belief. He wants you to believe. And when you're born again from your belief, you're a changed individual. You must understand this. The story of Jesus is so been corrupted by our world, and I got it. I understand. We are in a battle. And the more and more we watch as the entrapments of the Christmas story with the Santas and the reindeers and the presents and the incredible misdirection for all of us goes all around us. We must remember at the heart of the Christmas story is one who was born to die to pay the penalty for our sins. And it would be a tragedy if you didn't believe, if your spouse didn't believe, if your children didn't believe, or your family didn't believe. Because I'm telling you, one million years from today, every one of us will be alive. We're either gonna be in a place called heaven or a place called hell. And the only difference is, is what did you do with this baby who grew up to be a savior? Did Jesus become someone that you trusted in to pay the penalty for your sins? Did you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? That is the only thing that matters. So believe and go, and then tell others. Tell others as you go out and you live your life. The Bible is so clear. You know, when I see something significant, I wanna tell people. I wanna tell people, I want people I love to care to share about. With. I, I want people to know the things that are important to me. If I see a great sporting event, I see a great play or something, I tell people. I want people to know because it's everything because I care for people. And you love and care for people too. You have to understand we need to be responsible to tell people. And we need to tell people. The Bible has told us to tell people. And, and, and I can't convert people but I can tell people. And you can't convert people, but you can tell people. And we all need to have this passion inside us because the reality of it is, as we've talked through the years of people who have made quotes about evangelism, they've talked about the fact that if you really have this, you can't keep your mouth shut. I I, I couldn't imagine. We just went through, you know, well, if we had a cure for a disease, you'd have to tell people. If you had tickets to a great event and you had extra tickets, you'd wanna tell people. If you have something of great news, and the reason the word gospel means good news is because that's exactly what it is, and contrary to the bad news that all will die and all pay the penalty for their sins, we have to be able to tell others because we want them prepared. We want them ready. Again, you wonder, one year from today, who in this room is still gonna be alive? And you never know, because you never know how fast things go. And if you love and you care for people, you want them to be in heaven with you. It's, it has become a non-negotiable. There's a reason. I don't know why, how, what, for myself. I've got a, a, an insatiable passion to wanna tell people. And, and, and if I find myself awake at two in the morning, I can tell you how many times I've gone through lists of 150, 200 people. God, give them salvation. Have that same passion in yourself. Get into the scriptures and pour into it. So God, give me the strength and the power and the, the, the ability to overcome my weakness so I no longer stay quiet. This is so important. We can all tell people Merry Christmas, but can we tell people about Jesus? And then lastly, live a life that glorifies and praise God daily, just like the shepherds. 
You know, the idea is, if we say that we've come to know him, as 1 John teaches, then we keep his commands, and we honor him, and we live differently. Continue as this world continues to press down and push down upon all of you. Continue just to live a life that's different as you walk and talk and speak. And you know, one of the best books that I've been trying to push on Wednesday nights is the book of Ephesians because it talks about walk no longer as the Gentiles do. Walk no longer in the futility of your mind. Live somewhat differently. And, and I'll just leave you with this. Live righteously. And one of the things, that has, as I shared on Wednesday night, and I encourage you when we come back in, in, the, in January, to come, if you're not doing anything on Wednesday night, it was a 1 or 180, come. Because one of the things I'm really passionate about is living righteously, and it glorifies God. You know, we live in a day and age when, because of poor teaching, People think, oh, I'm gonna glorify God. I'm gonna keep my hair short. I'm gonna wear a dress that is you know, over my knees. I'm going to be somebody that never dances, never even takes a drink of alcohol, never even smokes, when none of that is required for righteousness. Now, I'm not crazy about someone drinking, and I'm not crazy about somebody smoking. Those things, though, don't make you righteous. What makes you righteous is, is fulfilling, as Romans chapter 13 says, the law of love. And if you want to be someone that glorifies God, be patient, kind, not jealous, not bragging, not arrogant, not be rude, not seek your own, not act out of provocation, forgiving one another. Don't rejoice in unrighteousness, rejoice in truth, bear, believe, hope, and endure all things. See, love is the goal that Christians are to have. Love fulfills the law. Love makes us as we practice. You want to practice righteousness. You don't run around, as I've often said, and maybe I can come up with a better analogy, like a chicken that's had its head cut off. And so many people have foolishly through the years said, oh, we don't play cards, we're righteous. Oh, we don't play, we don't dance, we're righteous. Oh my goodness, are you a fool? Do you not understand the way you think, the way you speak, the way you act? That's righteousness in the way it's loving, patient, kind, not jealous. Not, those are the things that God is looking for. And if your home is not filled with love, if your life is not filled with love, then you're not glorifying God. And I want you to always be ready because you never know what's gonna come. You never know when someone that is watching your life is gonna suddenly be taken out of it. So today, I don't know what's gonna happen to all of us one year from today, but I never know if you're gonna fall off the side of a mountain, get pushed into a, into a, a subway train, but you gotta be ready. And the person that is believing God, telling others, and living for it is gonna be ready for whatever happens. I truly believe, even if God were to take you to this day, if you're living like that, you've got God's favor on your life. And, and, and I want others to have that favor as well. Suddenly, he, the angels appeared. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the reality of how Jesus came into this world, what we call the incarnation, how God became in flesh. And we thank you so much for the reality of this story and how it grips us and how it passionately grabs hold of all of us and makes us so overwhelmed with what the baby grew up to be, how he came to die to pay the penalty for our sins. How I pray that this is a proclamation that all of us have, passionately believing in it, telling others, and then living it out. 
Amen.